Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to this week's show, which is the last week of 2023 and our last show of 2023. And so welcome to the show. We're excited about what we have coming up. Um, And I'll just give you a little preview of what that is. First off, for our inbox, we have a listener who's asking, what are some ways to gauge if I'm growing in my faith? Well, we have Pastor Mark Bates here who's going to weigh in on that. And then for our culture segment, if you have ever listened to the Heart of Dating podcast, you have heard of Kate and JJ Tomlin. Well, they are here to share the fun story of how they met. And then we're actually going to, this is a two-parter, they are going to answer straight up some questions that you sent in about dating. So that'll be a really fun segment as well. Well, here we are for our roundtable, and we are going to have a conversation about missions trips. Like any of you listening, have you been on a missions trip since like high school or, or whatever? Maybe you have, maybe you haven't, maybe you've gone with your church, but we're going to answer some of the questions around that. And so I've got a great group of folks here with me. First up, I mentioned him because he's going to come back for the inbox, but my dear friend, Pastor Mark Bates is here. Hey, Mark. Hello, Lisa. Super great to have you. He is the Senior Director of U.S. Operations for Mission to the World, uh, the missions sending agency of the uh, Presbyterian Church in America. And uh, actually, I love this, Mark. It says, according to your website, um, your Mission to the World prepares and serves 570 long-term missionaries and 1,167 short-term missionaries in 100 countries around the world. That's pretty big stuff. So that's awesome. We also have Kristen Anderson here. Hey, Kristen. Hey, what's up? You've been on some trips. Okay. (laughs) So um, I always love it when I meet people who love missions and have been on missions trips and have kind of worked that out. Um, A lot of folks who maybe are praying. I was just talking before we started taping about a dear friend of mine that I get to now support as she's preparing to go full-time into ministry overseas. Georgia, you're back. Good to have you. Glad to be back. Okay. (laughs) We're going to hear about your experience as well on missions trips and what that looks like and uh, all of that. So, okay, well, let's go ahead and jump right in. Um, I, too, have done a few, so I'm going to talk about that as well, Um, including doing my college internship in another country as a covert missionary. (laughs) So I went as a... They thought I was an exchange student, but I was really doing a hardcore, a a full-court press on sharing the gospel. So they didn't know what they were up against. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, All right. So to that point, let's talk about our backgrounds with serving um, in various mission capacities, short-term, longer-term, obviously, Mark now in admin kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. um, motivating really other Mm -hmm. people to Mm -hmm. see if that's God's uh, call for them. So let's go ahead and talk, anyone who wants to start, just about your own experience in this space. I've been on several mission trips basically since um, the summer after eighth grade from then on out, except for during COVID. Um, I've been overseas every year, so that's been a really fun opportunity. I've been to Mexico three or four times, Nicaragua three times, I think, Brazil once, and Malawi, Africa once. So it's been a lot of fun, a lot of different teams and unique experiences and different types of trips. So it's been good. Awesome. Georgia? Yeah, I've been to Brazil and Nicaragua, and I went on both of those trips with Kristen, actually, when we were in high school. So yeah, both of those were, um, yeah, just learned a lot, was taught a lot, saw a lot of how God works in unique ways. That's great. 
And so for me, most of my trips have been as a pastor. So um, one, I took some kids to Mexico a couple of times, as well as Trish and I worked as a pastoral associate couple for a missions team in Costa Rica and have been uh, visiting um, teams in other parts of the world. Yeah, that's great. So, yeah, I've done, in fact, I I think most of the times that I've gone have been South America, which is Mm -hmm. interesting. I didn't realize, I didn't necessarily Mm -hmm. be like, hey, South America is my jam, but Venezuela, (laughs) Paraguay, Mm -hmm. um, Brazil, and a couple other things shorter term around and about. So um, also the Bahamas, do not write into me and talk about like, how that is not a mission field, okay? But well, I'm not even going to bring that one up because I don't want to get it from you guys. So I wasn't even going to mention it. Okay, so <laughs> let's talk about like from your what, let's talk about your own experience as far as motivation for what even got you started. Like, was this a thing like with church where you were invited? Were other friends going? What, I mean, maybe you two ladies can start with answering this question because kind of this idea of the the camaraderie, especially when it is with school or with a church group or something like that, is that kind of what prompted you to say, I'm going to give this a try? I definitely started going on mission trips before I was a believer myself. So I would say that my original <laughs> motivation was trying to earn my salvation, which is not a healthy reason to go. Um, and you can't share the gospel if you don't know it. So um, I was probably not very effective on my first few mission trips. Um, but then after that, I have just always loved, well, since I've been a believer, I've loved God's word. Um, and I love other cultures and other people and other food and languages. And so it just seemed like a a good opportunity to enjoy those things in the fellowship of believers. So, Yeah, I think originally I went because I saw just the impact that it had on other believers within the church. And so my first missions trip that I went on was to Nicaragua. And there was just a lot of stories of how it went and how children were impacted. And I was a pretty fresh believer at that point. And so I just was like, Mom, I got to do this. This is, I, I feel the Lord prompting me. This is it. I got to go. And so I did. And then, yeah, I think that was pretty much how I felt with my second missions trip as well, is that it was one of those things where it's, you know, they ask people to sign up at, in the youth group room. They're like, who wants to go? And both of those times, that's, I just felt like that was what I was supposed to be doing. And uh, my parents were pretty supportive in that. Mm-hmm. That's great. Okay, Mark, that actually brings me to a question for you that Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm going to just head this off at the pass, the Debbie Downer negative. I'm not making this like, I'm going to sound like so grandma when I say this, (laughs) because I feel like I've been heard this from at least 17 to 19 grandmas in my life. It's not only grandmas that make this criticism, but you need to address head on this criticism. Um, Why are we even doing these? These are glorified vacations. And Mm -hmm. what can you actually accomplish in a week or two going over to another country and just plopping yourself in there? I'd say some mission trips are glorified vacations. And so I I think if I'm as a supporter, I'd be asking questions about that, too. uh, You know, it's one of the interesting things about mission trips. Just everybody who becomes a missionary first went on a mission trip. At the same time, there's been an explosion of mission trips over the last 30 years and not an increase in number of missionaries. And so I think there's not all trips are equal. 
Um, so why we go? The first thing I'd say is recognize the mission trip is going to be more transformative for those who go than it will be on the field. And, um, and so if you're going to go, you think you're going to really change the lives of all the people in, in Paraguay <laughs> because you're there for that week. Uh, it's probably not going to happen. Uh, on the other hand, you can do yeah. things. Just that them can... meeting me, Mark, yeah, well, was so transformative. I, I forgot I, I mean, let's just talk about Good point. Good, just kidding. Uh, on the other hand, uh, trips can be extremely helpful to the missionaries. So that's, for us, we only send trips if the mission field requests them. Mm-hmm. And so the missionaries have to want people to come, and they have to have a purpose. And so, for example, if uh, a, a group of high school students were to go to London, and uh, there's a large uh, Hindu, Sikh, Muslim community there, uh, just by being American kids there in London playing soccer in the square, they're going to attract attention. And that gives an opportunity for the missionaries to work with them, or a medical trip where they get to make contacts, or uh, there are various things that can help the work. But other trips simply are what we call vision trips, where you're going to go and see where God is at work around the world in ways that you may not realize. We tend to be very parochial. We tend to think that God works the same way here around the world, and mm-hmm. there's this us and them sort of thing, and it's a, a great, uh, great expansive view. So I'd say mainly go for the transformation it brings on those who are going, but also recognize uh, it can be a huge help to those who are serving on the field as well. Mm-hmm. That's good. What would you guys say, I mean, just from personal experience or from what you've heard or whatever, what are some of the the challenges that you can encounter? Even like maybe unmet expectations, even something, you know, you've built this thing up and now you're like, oh, okay, I'm actually here or whatever, or just something that you saw or experienced that you weren't prepared for. On my most recent trip to Mexico, um, I became one of the translators, and that wasn't um, something I was told beforehand. So I had like reviewed my Spanish a little bit, but I was translating about projects I had never heard of. And I was like, I don't know how to say bucket. We never learned that word, and it's such a crucial word here. And nobody told me I was going to be a translator. Oh, no. Um, And so that's one of the challenges that I've encountered. But then also team dynamics. A lot of times going on trips, you're not friends with everybody, or you don't know everybody, or you're working in a new capacity with people. And so figuring out how to work peaceably with all people (laughs) can sometimes be a really big challenge, especially... Um, when you're in a new context, a new culture, there are extra stressors, you know, language barrier. It can heighten some of those unpleasant trees that are under the surface. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, I think especially if you're going on a short term missions trip, if you're going for a week or two weeks, it can be a lot of go, go, go. And so you don't really um, rest and you're just kind of moving really quickly. And I think that can often cause conflict in between your other fellow mission trip goers. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a big one. And then I also think, and I hesitate to say this because it sounds so like, oh my gosh, when you experience something hard and it's emotional, especially mm-hmm. if you're going on a quick one. But I remember on my first time going, when I went to Nicaragua, leaving was extremely hard for me. And I think. A lot of people understand when you come back to the culture shock of going to America. And, and that was just only being there for a week. And I felt this immense pain because I was like, how can I go back home to the life of luxury that I, I, that I would not have called luxury at the time, but the life of luxury that I had? I just felt extreme guilt going back home when I was like, I'm 14, maybe I should stay here and, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> so I think that's something that especially for young teens going on a missions trip not understanding the weight of that fully until you're there in the moment. And then you're like, wow, I, I don't know what, I don't know how I continue living my life the way I live it. Um, which I think is a good thing. I mean, it Mm -hmm. calls you to action, but I also think that can be something hard that if 
if you don't talk about that beforehand, when you come back, it can feel extremely weighty. Mm -hmm. That's good. That reminds me um, also of my, one of my experiences, this just came to mind, was one of the ones where I was in, uh, in Paraguay. I was there four months. And so it gave me the opportunity to be in the midst of what was actually a team, there, there were some team issues mm. that were being worked out. And I remember thinking to myself, why does this team have issues? They're like missionaries. Like, should, <laughs> <laughs> it should just be amazing. Like, I mean, clearly this is like the cream of the crop. And just being a little bit discouraged about mm-hmm. like, oh, why are these people just struggling and fighting and whatever mm-hmm. and having to work stuff out? So mm-hmm. I just remember thinking like, oh, yeah, because, you know, they're sinners. So mm-hmm. I guess. I, <laughs> I, guess. I, guess. <laughs> I guess they are. Mark, anything to add on that? I, I think oftentimes we think of mission trips, we think of going to areas of poverty, but not all missions are happening in areas of poverty. So, for example, Japan is 1% Christian, and uh, there, you can go on a mission trip there and find uh, people that are prosperous, uh, successful, and totally lost, mm-hmm. and being exposed to that. Uh, so, it, and it's going to be stressful. You know, anytime you go to a foreign culture, you do not know what you're doing. And um, uh, and by the time you figure out what you're doing, uh, well, you're not going to figure out what you're doing in a trip. Uh, so it's, it, and it, so that's going to add some extra stress. But seeing the lostness of people in different cultures, I think, can be a life-changing experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do, I mean, to that point, again, you know, prosperity mm-hmm. aside, what are some good tips for just encountering straight up cultural differences that maybe you're not prepared for? Because I think a lot of people, there's this idea in your head of like, I want to help, I want to be, but you think you're going to go and stand Mm -hmm. on a box and share the gospel, Mm -hmm. and then you realize, oh, wait, I don't even speak this language. What (laughs) am I actually doing here? Mm -hmm. So what are some of those things that people should be aware of on the front end? I think what you just said, the the, the cultural differences, one is is learning what those cultural differences are uh, before you go can be very helpful. So a number of years ago, I was in Costa Rica, and there's another pastor who was there at the same time uh, who is from originally from the Northeast. So cold culture person, I'm a Southerner, warm culture person, a little bit different. He comes in, one of the kindest, nicest people you'll know, but he's extremely direct Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can't do that in Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and so even though he's a nicer person, he came across as far more offensive than me, who can be naturally be much more offensive, but because I'm Southerner <laughs> and indirect, uh, it, it didn't uh, cause this problem. So the uh, other is recognizing, too, you, know, you need to listen to your host, the missionaries that are there, and do things that serve them, uh, not things that you think your agenda, what you want to do, you need to be listening to, to your missionaries. Mm-hmm. I think also listening to the people that you're interacting with. Um, I think if you're going somewhere, obviously, that has a different culture than yours, you need to understand that when they're speaking to you and when they're interacting with you, the things they say matter. And uh, something that kind of reminded me of this is actually a book I read called The Poisonwood Bible. And it's about how this family comes in and their missionary family. And the dad starts, you know, creating a garden how he thinks that it should be created um and then the people there are like no like the water's gonna wash everything you've done away and so they they put mounds up instead of your normal kind of like side by side anyway that's i'm not describing it very well all that to say um he in the in the book this pastor was not listening to the locals at all and Mm. and they were like no like we've lived here for a while we know how to garden and Mm -hmm. i think that's a big thing too is that um you have to listen to the people that live there because it's their place it's their 
their home. And so you can't walk in thinking that you know better or that you know best because you don't. Mm-hmm. Um, you may know the gospel and you may know Jesus, but they know that the, they know the land that they live on. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important to understand. So that goes back to what you were saying mm-hmm. is, is doing your homework beforehand and being willing to listen and being willing to shift, like being willing to be humble before mm-hmm. these people as well and, and listen to what they have to say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was about to say, I think humility plays into it a lot. Mm-hmm. A lot of people say, you know, g- going into a mission trip, like you're going to make mistakes, so learn to laugh. Um, and I think sometimes people can overdo that, like, oh, I'm going to make mistakes, so I'm not even going to try. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think being really humble, both in I'm going to make mistakes and that's okay, but also humble in that these people's dignity is more than my own, which is the case anytime we interact with anybody. Um, but just making an effort to to learn, to understand. And again, you're not going to learn it in a mm-hmm. trip because mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a lot to learn. Um, but just to be humble in both regards. Mm-hmm. That's funny. That reminds me of uh, when I had a, so long story, my, my time in South America for my extended trip, I lived with a very wealthy family, kind of to Mark's point mm-hmm. of like, it's not all poverty. I actually had a chauffeur um, oh. and I, his name, his last name sounds very similar to the word for the Holy Spirit in mm. Spanish. And so for most of my four months, I called him the Holy Spirit <laughs> oh, no. and he never told me, oh. you know, but we had a great laugh about that as I left when I finally realized that I had been saying it incorrectly. And he said, <laughs> I just took it, you know, yeah. I was yeah. just like, this is great, you know, whatever yeah. I'll. I'll take it. So kind of you can build some bridges, I think, Mm -hmm. off of that, off of your own mistakes as well. So, okay. So what, I mean, Mark, you alluded to this kind of as we started of how, you know, wouldn't we, if we all want to have, you know, an impact in the kingdom, Mm -hmm. we all love the gospel. We all know what God did for us. Why wouldn't everyone want to go to other cultures and say, you know, hey, this is, this is my jam. What's the, like give a little bit of a, a vision for that or maybe some of where where you've seen some of the hang-ups and what that mm-hmm. looks like as far as especially in a, a new century now of how maybe it's taking on different faces. Yeah, so I, I think it'd be great. For, I'd love to see all Christians going on a, on a trip to, to see how God is at work in different places. Again, we tend to look at Christianity and think of it through our own cultural lens that this is normal, this is the way it has to be done. And uh, to see the need. I, the other is is to see this the 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 great poverty of gospel around the world. You know, we we're, we have I don't know how many churches in our city, a whole bunch. Mm-hmm. Even though only eighteen percent go to church, still we have a bunch. We have a lot of options. Whereas other places in the world, there is no gospel proclamation at all. People, even like Scotland, mm-hmm. Scotland. You'll be born, you'll live your whole life, and you'll die, and you'll probably never meet a Christian uh, because it's less than 5% evangelical, uh, at least have an engaging conversation. So, so the, uh, the need, uh, I think, for people to go and see the need um, and see how God might use them as well. So I think the um, worst or best case scenario, d- depending on how you define it, you're going to go and see how God could use you in a different context other than, uh, than home. Uh, and or at the very least, you're going to pray and you're going to give more because you've seen the need. Your heart will be grabbed by what you see. Yeah. It strikes me that, you know, and I heard this, I think, relatively recently, though I've heard it a number of times, that for those of us in Western cultures that think that we're the bee's knees, I mean, mm-hmm. it no, mm-hmm. the real game is no longer mm-hmm. here anymore. The U.S. is no longer the biggest sending country. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how that's going down other cultures being the presence of the church growing, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. the numbers are much bigger on other continents. And so I think that's just exciting yeah. to mm-hmm. know and oh, yeah. to see firsthand. 
Mm-hmm. I think that's awesome. Yeah. Okay, so in the last couple of minutes that we have, the person who is like, mm, okay, maybe I've thought of it, maybe I hadn't thought of it before now, I don't know what I think, what, or they're saying, you know, this is something I'd like to prioritize this year, and I want to look into it. What are some tips for maybe getting them started? I think first off, you need to have a sending church. You need to be attached to a church that sends people Mm -hmm. on missions trips, because I think it is a lot harder to just, you know, say, I want to go. But if you don't have a community who can, one, support you, or B, more importantly, because I think we're talking right here and now, I think we're talking about short-term missions trips. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, you want to be in support, as you you said, of people who are in the field long-term. And I think that's super important that you are attending a church, you're in a church body, and you're supporting your people who are in the field long term, and you're going to do whatever it is that they need. And I think that's super important. So I think that would be the first step is is having a church body and then, you know, seeing what need there is of your your sent ones that are already in the field. Georgia took my answer that I say on every podcast. It's always like, and what's your tips? I'm like, join a church. (laughs) (laughs) So sorry. (laughs) So sorry. Yeah. And sometimes churches do them through the church and Mm -hmm. sometimes they work with another agency or whatever. But But that's the connecting piece, I think, is still having a church body to have that support. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Amen. Preach. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, we connect. So I'd say with that, ask your pastor or pa- whoever's head of your missions what they think. Mm-hmm. And they can probably give you references for where to go if your church doesn't have a trip planned. Or you can go to mtw.org <laughs> and see, see things there. But even there, I'd say you really you want to go through your pastor, go mm-hmm. through your church. And see, because there might be reasons why a trip is not for you, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that you're just not uh, in, in a healthy place right now. Uh, it's, uh, other things may be going on, and you may just go, oh, this sounds exciting. And they may say, well, you know, maybe you need to wait a year or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would seek good godly counsel. Mm-hmm. The other, as you look at trips, say, what are they going to be doing? Um, I'm more of a fan of trips where you're going to get to see what missionaries are actually doing as mm-hmm. opposed to those you're going to go with 50 other Americans and doing a construction project and never interact with the work. Mm-hmm. I'd say look for those trips where you get to go and see how the gospel is at work uh, in that particular place. Uh, I think those tend to be more life-changing. Mm-hmm. That's great. I think, too, when we're looking at um, if a trip is the right fit, looking at the work that they're doing and how effective will I be? Like, mm-hmm. what skills do I have that will actually move this trip forward um, because I've been on mission trips where I go and I look at some of the team members and I'm like, well, I'm glad you're here, but you, you're not able to do the work that we mm-hmm. came here to do. And so now instead of being an encouragement to the team, both on the field and the team that came, we're having to kind of sidestep some plans to to make sure that you're safe and you're healthy. Mm-hmm. So um, what skills do you have? Are you going to increase the capacity of the trip? Um, and will you increase effectiveness of the gospel and encouragement of the team there? But also sometimes we can get caught up in logistics of, oh, well, I don't know if the dates are going to work, if my job will let me off, or if I'll be able to afford it. Um, and all I would say to that is that the Lord equips us, and He's already prepared us for good works that we would do them. Mm-hmm. So if this is a good work that He's prepared us for, then we need to walk forward in faith and trust that He does own the cattle on a thousand hills, and He's going to provide exactly yeah. what we need. So. Mm-hmm. I think having been, I think at this table, I'm probably the least, like I've, I've only gone to two and I don't speak Spanish fluently as some at this table <laughs> do. I will say 
to Kristen's point, it's really big to understand what you bring to the table, not because it means you're worth any less, but mm-hmm. because the Lord has gifted us and equipped us each differently. And I will say, just as an example, for Nicaragua, we were painting a church. We were putting on a VBS. You don't have to know Spanish to play with kids. Mm-hmm. You don't need to know Spanish to paint a church or <laughs> that kind of thing. When we went to Brazil, it was a lot more of like mm-hmm. sharing the gospel one-on-one. And though I went and I, I learned a lot, and if anything, for separate reasons, I, I learned a lot and <laughs> there was a lot of reconciliation there. I will say, do I think I was effective in bringing the gospel to the Brazilians we were working with? No, because I didn't know Portuguese and I didn't know Spanish very well. I knew minimal Spanish. Now, I don't think that that was a mistake. I know the Lord had me there for a reason, Mm -hmm. but looking back, there are some things I wish I had thought through. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, no regrets there, but Mm -hmm. it's just the the thought that just considering, again, like what are we going to be doing and how effective can I be in the ministry? Mm -hmm. Thanks, you guys, for weighing in on this. This is great insight. And I think, too, just encouragement to say, like, yeah, you know, you just be faithful. Listen, Mm -hmm. you know, do what God's telling you to do. Maybe find a friend who's going to join you, someone else who's passionate, kind of like what Kristen and Georgia did, went together. So thanks, everyone. Thanks for having us. Thank you. California driving had to get out. Distance got me wondering where you are right now. One-way conversations got me worn down Pouring out my heart, wish you would speak a sound folks. Uh, Well, we are here for this week's culture segment and a little preview to let you know that uh, it's actually this week and next week. We are doing a two-parter. For those of you who know um, know Kate and JJ Tomlin, we are going to be talking to them this week and next about their own relationship, as well as straight up next week, them answering some of your questions that you have submitted. And so this is going to be a really fun time. Um, Kate and JJ, they're speakers, they're podcast hosts, relationship coaches. Uh, You remember, probably, we had Kate on as a guest on The Boundless Show back in 2021. So post-COVID, as we have to measure all things now, uh, as we are, (laughs) but it still seems like it was a little while ago. So welcome to both of you guys. (laughs) Hey, Lisa, this is so fun to be back and now with JJ. I I know. know. Well, 
Technically, were you dating me when you were on the show? Technically, I was dating JJ when we had this interview, Lisa, but okay. it was just completely behind the scenes. <laughs> I was going to say, so we can't entirely take credit for like you were on the Boundless show and all of a sudden he shows up. But we will say, you know, that I'm sure we facilitated healthy conversation <laughs> and whatever. No, that's fantastic. Absolutely. Really, really fun uh, to see kind of the culmination of this and God's working in it. And so, um, yeah, so you guys guys are, we're going to hear a little bit about your your story, but those of you who know, and of course you can um, find, it was actually episode 697 that we had Kate on before. Um, and we talked about like, she's the one who has done for forever now. I mean, five or six years, the Heart of Dating podcast, right? Yeah, so exactly. um, it's been about six years. Yeah. That's funny. I say forever, like Boundless celebrated 15 years this year, which <laughs> is crazy. And I can't even take credit for that. The Boundless show was started. Um, I was the host of it, but that was another team that was like, let's do a podcast. And everyone's like, what's podcasting? So that was way back um, when I actually was a young adult. But um, also, um, and then JJ uh, has joined since July of 2022. And like I said, uh, they do the Heart of Dating eight-week intensive program, the School of Dating, a bunch of other stuff going on that we're going to link to so that you guys know all about them and and their presence too on on social media as well and at heartofdating.com. But um, let's go ahead and start start in because Kate, we got to know you a bit last time, but JJ, we're introducing you to listeners now. So this is really (laughs) fun. But we need to talk about this whole dating scene, which was happening when you were on the show last time, Kate. And I want to start out by just saying, because I think this is going to be super encouraging to folks that there's a little bit of an age gap between you two. Okay, so <laughs> let's talk about it. One of our one of our most prolific and longstanding bloggers, Suzanne Goslin, is eight years older than her husband, and so she has blogged a lot about this, about how you know at first it was like a hard pass for her. She met him at a Starbucks. She's like, hey, you know, you're like the age of my little brother, or whatever. So super <laughs> awkward. Um, but both age gap and you added to that kind of a long distance dating as well. So talk about how mm-hmm. this transpired the hurdles related to that from either of your perspectives? Yeah, I'll quickly start that for me, the age gap at first was a no, I would never date somebody that young. Our age gap is five and a half years. And my brother, my younger brother is two years younger than me. So I just never really considered somebody under my brother's age. You know, that was like, especially growing up, that's your little brother and all his high school little friends. And so for the JJ to be three and a half years younger than my brother was a massive deal. Uh, but I was in a season of challenging myself to date the unexpected. And so while I was hesitant and definitely had a lot of thoughts about dating a younger guy, because also there's like this weird theory that younger guys are less mature and you have to date as a woman older guys because then they're going to match you in their age technically with maturity. Um, I decided to give it a shot. And JJ, you can speak to how you kind of like weren't phased by the age at all. (laughs) Well, I mean, you have a couple things about you that are rather intimidating to to men, you know, having to date a dating coach in itself uh, (laughs) presents a a fun little challenge. Uh, And then she happened to be five and a half years older. And then I'd say, you know, by far and away, she is one of the most beautiful women I've ever seen. So you kind of couple all that together. And it was a little daunting up front. But I I think ultimately, you know, I was listening to um, a sermon on Jacob and Rachel this morning, like something does happen when a man just decides and chooses 
like he sets his eye mm. and uh, you're just not faced by some of these things that would be rather intimidating in another circumstance or scenario. So, um, you know, we actually met on a Zoom call. Uh, I tell people that Kate uh, was the most beautiful five by seven little digital pixels <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and she was actually speaking at a conference, a Galentine's conference. Um, and I was doing like a warm up icebreaker wow. blind date bachelor you know, type uh, icebreaker <laughs> game. And that's actually how we met. Yeah, that's really funny because it wasn't, I mean, I, I know that she was saying like she was looking at her notes and trying to just run everything. So you weren't really a consideration. So you had to come circle back around and ask for a setup, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I, I saw... I don't remember you on the Zoom call at all. <laughs> Which is oh, super well, flattering. So you right? met her, but she didn't meet you on the Zoom <laughs> exactly. call. Exactly. So, okay. My pursuit of her started before she even knew who I was. Yeah. Okay. And uh, in a non-creepy way, right? Right. Uh, <laughs> that's super non-creepy. Yeah. Well, I mean, what's also funny is I saw her and that wasn't enough for me to ask her out. I heard her story and I heard her speak to these hundreds of girls, um, you know, about depression, self-hatred, resentment, forgiveness, and all that she had been through. And that's what stuck out to me, her character and who she was today, not necessarily her past. And so that for me was so attractive. I couldn't help but ask for a setup. Um, and my friends weren't running the conference. We're happy to give that vouch of character. <laughs> hey, this is a guy. I know he's younger than you. At the time, I had a a pretty different look and style uh, with blue hair and blue hair. black earrings and <laughs> blue it was, hair, everyone. Nice. It was a mess for sure. But yeah. um, no, so Kate, you know, overlooked a few things um, yeah. and went off their character recommendation is what I say. Well, which is so funny because I want to actually back that up and get your take on that, Kate, because I know you describe him as not being your type, but you were in mm -hmm. this, you know, you were doing a very active pursuit of giving people chances and being open, you know, you were actually forcing yourself with this exercise of, you know, um, the unexpected and all of that. So you got the unexpected. But what <laughs> tell us because people talk about type a lot, what in your head was your type? Had you only dated your type? And how did you allow him to break the mold? Yeah, so I had tried over a few years before this to date the unexpected, albeit unsuccessfully. But why I started doing this was because I had a history, as people maybe have heard, of longstanding toxic relationships where I a guy would be super interested in me. And, you know, usually the kind of guy I would go for was the more creative guy that maybe wore tight jeans and he loved singing music. Um, and he he could speak lots of great, beautiful love words to me. And usually just, especially if that guy was charismatic and seemingly was really interested in me, I was like, yes, I'm in, committed. Like first date, I'm already picturing my name with them. I'm thinking about it. I'm of all the feels and I'm living in it like in fairy tale land. And what would happen to me over and over is I would get really easily committed to guys that were, that I didn't really know. And character wise, I hadn't actually seen their character play out through time. And a lot of these guys were guys in the church, but still you don't really know someone until you get to know them through time. That's what we're about. So I have, I realized I was just handing my heart over so early to all these different guys that were like the worship leader kind of creatives. And I realized this wasn't very good for <laughs> Sorry, me. Sorry, worship leaders. So, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Or creatives. Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> I know we love the creatives. Okay. But for me, it was just wasn't working out. And so 
JJ comes along again. I dated older guys, like guys in their 40s. I was in my 30s at the time, but I had never really dated a guy that young um, at all, let alone somebody with blue hair that was also long distance, as you had mentioned, Lisa. And so there were a lot of elements where I was like, there's a lot of things not going for him. But what was going for him was the character recommendations from friends. And I just decided, hey, like this is not somebody if I just met him at a Starbucks like you were saying, um, the other woman, I probably wouldn't have been really open. However, knowing and getting set up with him and having something there, I was like, okay, I can at least give this guy a shot. And here's what I'll also say. I went to his Instagram. I Instagram stalked him as most people do these days. <laughs> mm-hmm. And his Instagram was hilarious because he just had photo after photo of different hairstyles, like a mullet and a big, thick black mustache and blue hair and platinum hair and a bushy uh, beard and all these different looks. I was like, wow, what I do appreciate about this weirdness is that he doesn't care what people think about him. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciated that. I appreciated that he wasn't the guy that would was just trying to win me over because if he was, his Instagram would not look that way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. he'd be trying to put out a different message. Yeah. Well, that's good because and JJ maybe you can speak to this cuz you actually also decided to really kind of get your game on. And this was during a season of her launching her book, which Kate to your past dating experiences. We talked about this last time. Thank you for rejecting me. Your book, <laughs> which clearly maybe you're going to do a you need to do a sequel now, you know, now that you've found <laughs> yeah. uh, JJ and it can be like, oh, someone didn't reject me or something. Or, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's great. You know, a redemptive story out of that. But <laughs> but you were like I I think JJ you said you just decided that you were actually going to help. I mean, you wanted to be an encourager in her book journey and with all of this and really kind of come in and be that guy that wasn't just about himself and wasn't going to be that person who just evidenced like what's in this for me and and whatever. How did you decide in your head to do that? And how were you able to do that without looking kind of like you were self-promoting or just trying to be the superhero or something? Yeah, well, I think uh, the only way you can do that is just being authentically about someone else. Hmm. Hey, win or lose in this situation, whether I come out of this with a ring on her finger or mine, I don't care. I want to show up and support you as best as possible. And sometimes we get our agenda and what we want and our outcome in the way of that. And so for me, it was just that genuine hmm. desire to to 1,000% show up for someone else, whether or not, you know, you get what you want. Mm -hmm. And, you know, our motto very early on was, hey, we're just going to take this one date at a time and see where God leads it. Like, I was very excited. I was very, uh, what we say, infatuated with Kate in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And she took a lot of convincing even to just say yes on a date, uh, which we love that because for me, my, hey, let's take it one date at a time was, hey, God, like, I'm going to really pace myself. I'm going to really make this one day at a time. I'm going to let you lead here. And then for Kate, it was the same prayer, but with a different meaning. Hey, God, I'm really unsure here. I'm not really feeling this too much, but hey, I'm just going to take this one date at a time and see where you lead this versus what I think is a good idea. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. Okay, so I do want you to, and we're going to, next week, we're actually going to have you answer some questions um, that our listeners have asked, which I think is going to be really fun. But continuing with your story a little bit, there are some things that 
Um, you know, you guys are have been pretty open about the lessons you've learned in your own journeys and, and stuff. Uh, Kate, you emphasize the importance of listening to the Holy Spirit, which mm-hmm. I think can kind of come to play. I mean, I, I need you to tell the story about the restaurant and the pants, because I think that is very, like, just common. I mean, that's a great example of something where it's just like... <laughs> adjusting expectations, being like, okay, where can I give? Where can I take? You know, because there's got to be, clearly we've talked about JJ being like, okay, maybe the blue hair at some point had to go. Maybe, I, you know, <laughs> what what's that going to take? But tell that story, but in the context of what it means to adjust expectations and be willing to grow and be a person that now is going to be part of a team because, you can't. Too many singles, even Christian single adults, are like, it's my way or the highway, you know, and I'm just going to ask God to put a stamp of approval on a person, and they better adjust to what I'm called to, everything from my vocation to my proclivities to my preferences mm. and all that. But it's a hard road of growth and maturity and selflessness. So yeah. um, maybe just maybe just talk about the pants, but then lead into how even and some bigger planes, some things had to happen on that front. Yeah, so many people come back at me now and they're like, well, JJ doesn't have the blue hair and all these things. And I'm like, yeah, but yes, I mean, there is a girlfriend effect that happened here to some extent, (laughs) willingly on his end, which I think is really important to know. And it doesn't mean that the blue hair won't come back at some point. Just be ready for that. Exactly. I I see, I can see the gears turning in his head already. So whatever. We we partner with that prophetic word. At our wedding (laughs) reception, everyone was like, bring it back, bring it back. So I have no doubt it'll come back. But yeah, he took me on a date uh, when he was visiting for the first time in person uh, after long distance dating for a month. And the place he was taking me, because this was in my neck of the woods, I happened to know was very fancy and unfortunately had this like dress code situation. And so he, we meet up and he's wearing shorts Mm. and like very casual shorts. And this restaurant is just, they're not going to let you in with shorts. Okay. And so I look at him, I'm like, Oh, so is that what you're wearing? (laughs) Because I'm thinking like, this is not going to go good. He was like, "Uh, well, yeah. And I was like, I don't think you can wear those in the restaurant. (laughs) And so um, this was awesome. Do you want to tell the point that he dropped me off and then he made a a deal with me where I really had to trust him? What did you say? It it was like a cheesy rom-com scene where I was like, hey, do you trust me? Uh, But more like, I have your car. I'm still technically a stranger and I just need 15 minutes and I can't tell you why. And she was like, uh, sure. So (laughs) I sprinted over, parked the car, ran into a Lululemon and said, I need your ABC joggers black as soon as you can. (laughs) The guy understood the assignment. I checked it out, uh, ran back to the car, changed in her car, Mini Cooper, by the way, not a lot of space. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) And then sprinted back to the restaurant, I think in like 12 minutes and uh, ran up to her. And uh, matter of fact, do you like what you see kind of ideal? <laughs> and she did. And that meant a lot to her. It that was um, something very, very small that someone maybe would just laugh at or chuckle at. But mentally for Kate, that meant the world, mm-hmm. right? That I would adjust um, for something like style. That's not that important to me, but it's super important for her. I'm happy to give that away if it means the world to her. And we had a conversation that night at dinner. So this opened up a conversation about style where I asked him, hey, I just want to know, like you have clearly very unique style, which is totally cool. Um, And I'm just curious, like, is this something that like really represents you? Is this something you're really passionate about? Because for me as a woman, 
I think a lot of ladies, we go into it being like, we can change them. We're going to change all these things about him. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to do that. If he, if this style and the way he dressed was like an expression and something he really loved, I didn't want to come in and have the assumption and expectation that, oh, well, I can date him and change all these things. Mm -hmm. And so we had just an open, honest dialogue about style. And people today that see how JJ looks and they're like, oh, he's so cleaned up. This is different. I'm like, what you don't see is he every other week will shave a random mustache or random uh, goatee. The other month he had a mullet. He wears his really random weird animal wild animal tees on Fridays. Like he still has his pieces of weird style that he incorporates all the time. Yeah, that's hilarious. And that it reminds me of when I talk to especially men I think who kind of lead I always say there's a difference between being like straight out weird and quirky like quirky is okay as long as but you need to maybe not always lead with all the quirk because you know (laughs) you know maybe the first date isn't the time to be like hey here's my extensive you know Star Wars t-shirt collection or (laughs) let me speak to you in Klingon or something like that you know I think sometimes we try to be so interesting that it gets to be a little bit like yeah I don't know you might want to save that for a little further on into the into the the relationship yeah the third absolute (laughs) solid third I think well if you make it to the third yes then you can start talking Star Wars and all of that. So, okay, well, what, uh, out of curiosity, a quick question here, what would you say as you think about this has to the point of um, adjustments and flexing and, you know, putting another person first and stuff, what has been kind of an adjustment in maybe another area that each of you has had to make that maybe was a little unexpected, something that's like, oh, yeah, okay, the two actually become one. And this is something where I might have to give up something of myself for this. What's been each of your biggest contribution to that giving up self? Well, it's funny, you know, I actually heard this quote the other day, and it's just stuck. Uh, And marriage, one of the greatest gifts you can give your spouse is the gift of Mm self-denial. And I think that you know, people think about grand, big gestures, but it also means the practical, small day-to-day things of life. Mm-hmm. And so a big area for us that we knew going into marriage uh, was, for example, cleanliness mm-hmm. and household chores. It doesn't make sense for me that the floors need to be vacuumed and mopped daily, but this is coming from corporate, uh, <laughs> you know, I had some ideas that got shot down by management. (laughs) And guess what? At the end of the day, those floors need to be vacuumed and mopped. And that's a great way. We were just reading, don't just express your love with grand words, but express it in action and in truth. And in small ways. And in small ways. And actions, a great way for me is household cleanliness, which I'm sure Kate loves to hear. On the opposite flip side, I've had to grow to be more flexible. I'm way more type A, everything planned, everything clean. We, you know, we're a blended family of dogs. He came in with a much bigger dog than my dog. And that's been a big learning curve. Okay, I have to be okay with dirt on the ground. I have to be okay with things being more flexible. And um, when you're single, especially until I was, I got married at 32, you're used to living life a certain way with a certain standard, your house a certain way, all these different things. And so big learning thing for me has been leaning into 
releasing control and leaning into being more flexible, which is just not my (laughs) go to. Mm -hmm. So we're very opposite. I'm type A, he's type B. So he's had to step up with more, okay, proactivity. And I've had to be like, let me be more flexible in times. Yeah, no, that's good. All right. Well, as we finish here, I have a question that I kind of want to tee up as we lead into next week of a full-on Q&A. And I'm curious, again, you know, in in your dating journey, there are so many folks who write into Boundless and they're like, Lisa, dating is just so hard. Or maybe they've heard the story of their parents or their grandparents who made it seem so easy and just like, boy likes girl, you go to a movie, you have shared values. It just, you know, both of you are ready for marriage and you're ready to commit. And whatever. And now people are like, we got to do background checks. We got to do full on like Enneagram assessments. We got to make <laughs> sure, you know, is this person, what's all their baggage? Let's unpack all of it. Make sure they've had at least four years of counseling before I can even go out with them. So, I mean, it's just, it's just hard. Why do you think, what's your perspective? I mean, cause you've, you know, Kate, you went through the ringer, you know, with relationships and stuff. What would, from your perspective, your answer be to why is dating so hard and how can Christian young adults stay encouraged in the process? Yeah, I think now the the beautiful part about dating is we have more options than ever, but it's also the curse of dating is mm-hmm. that we have more options than ever. And so because of that, we've we get to choose and choose more wisely, but sometimes we're so specific in that choice that we like eliminate perfectly awesome potential people because they don't fit a very niche bill that we're looking for off the bat. And I would say that's why I'm all about dating the unexpected because, hey, you don't need to know every single thing about this person before you go out with them. Um, You want to know some things ideally, like, and hopefully um, you get some sort of a character check before you go out with them. But sometimes the people that you would least expect to be interested in are potentially the best match for you and are the person you end up with, case in point. And so I think wonderful that we have more options and that it's not just the neighbor down the street that we is our only option in town that we have to marry, right? Uh, but with that, I think we just get overwhelmed with all the options and we're, we get ultra specific and finding like the one that's so sp- very, very, very niche. And I think we need to be more open to not eliminating people, especially based on some superficial things like outward physical attraction or mm. their height and certain things, which we can get into. But um, yeah, I think that's why dating has been more difficult than ever personally. Yeah. JJ, anything to add? Well, it's just ironic that, you know, we have more dating options than ever before in human history, and we're officially more single than we ever have been in Mm -hmm. human history. You know, 51% of the U.S. population is officially single. Mm -hmm. 33% of the church is single, and those are record highs for both. And so I think at the end of the day, it is a choice uh, that we just have to make. But now I think it's absolutely an overwhelming onslaught of choices that it's like almost like walking into a builder bear shop and the second that they don't have the buttons that we wanted and the stuffing we wanted, right, we're out. So, um, but I think Kate covered most of that for sure. No, that's good. Well, are y'all ready to uh, come back next week and answer some listener questions? 
Oh yeah. I can't wait to see what they're asking. <laughs> we love Q&As. Let's do it. Okay, this is <laughs> this is going to be awesome. So folks, um in the meantime, we want to make you aware of the fact that you can download our free boundless guides to marrying well. Um, we also want to make sure that you are checking out the Heart of Dating podcast with Kate and JJ Tomlin. So go to boundless.org. You're going to search for 830. That's this week's episode. Um, you'll see all the information that you need there that you can click on, that you can get more info. You can get the podcast, all of that. So make sure you check it out. Uh, even now this week, as you get ready for next week, because you'll get a little more of the heart uh, behind Kate and JJ as we do this. So, um, all right, well, we'll be ready to come back next week. Here we go round and round again But people, we were meant to blaze A life that's beautiful Yeah, we got so much love to give Don't look to the left or right You know the future's worth the fight Don't look to the left or right uh, Hey, yeah L-O-V-E rolls off the tongue But sometimes the word's just not enough Gotta dig a little, dig a little deeper uh, Hey, yeah You gotta love with your life Like a fire burning strong To the night All right, folks, it is time for our inbox as we finish out the show. And so we're going to answer one of your questions. And we brought back our dear pastor friend, Mark Bates. Hey, Mark. Hello, Lisa. Good to have you here. So I just love it. You guys need to keep sending in questions, okay? Because sometimes I just read these and I'm like, what in the world? I need to hear an answer to this. This is so great. And so um, we appreciate it when our experts come in to answer these questions. So Mark, are you ready for this one? I'm ready. Okay, here you go. Our listener wants to know, what are some ways to gauge if I'm actually growing in my faith? And what do I do when I don't feel like I have enough faith or my faith doesn't seem to be the primary force in my life? Mm, very good question. How do you gauge? Uh, is uh, You probably can't you know, <laughs> in, in some ways. I mean, sometimes we have these great moments of growth. But you know, we talk about growing in our faith. What is it we're looking for? And uh, sometimes we're, we may be measuring the wrong thing. I, I think the thing we ought to be looking for is the fruit of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the tools that we use, Bible study, prayer, um, you know, worship, everything, it should be producing a new life in us that the Holy, actually the Holy Spirit is the one producing. And so am I growing more in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control? So those are things to look for. And uh, you're probably not going to see that on a day-to-day basis, but sometimes you can look back and see things over the past few years. You know, where were you five years ago? Uh, it might be a, a better measure. The main thing I think I would be working on is, is doing those things that put me in touch with the Holy Spirit, believing the gospel so that the Spirit is producing those fruit. The other thing about spiritual growth is the more you grow, the more sinful you realize you are. So mm-hmm. sometimes spiritual growth actually feels downward because it is. Is, uh, is you're seeing your sin in ways before. I, I think when I was a, a young uh, believer, young man, 
Um, I had no idea uh, of the depth of my sin. And the more I've grown, God's holiness has become more real to me. Uh, the severity of my sins become more real to me. And that can be depressing unless you do this next step, which is seeing that Jesus gets bigger all the time too. And so growing in your appreciation of the gospel. So one of the ways you'll know that you're growing is one through the spirit, but the other is, are you far more grateful for the gospel than you were before? Are you seeing your sin in ways, and not in a way that just brings about depression, that actually brings about, whew, I'm so glad that Christ died for my sins. Mm -hmm. Now, the other about the faith, as, as again, I think sometimes we look at uh, how much faith, and uh, I'm not sure, again, that that's the focus that the Bible puts on it. The question is, are we living by faith? Oftentimes, as Christians, we will say, well, I don't feel this way, and we'll mistake that for faith. The challenge for us as Christians is not to live according to how we're feeling at the moment, but live according to what we believe. That's what faith is. So what do I believe? And so if I believe Jesus is Lord, uh, then I'm going to act in accordance with that, even though I may not feel like it. And so what's that going to look like? Well, frankly, it's going to look like obedience. If Jesus really did die for me, if Jesus really did love me, if Jesus really does know what's best for me, then I'm going to make an intellectual decision uh, that says, okay, how am I going to live according to how I feel at the moment, or am I going to live according to faith, to what I believe? And I'm simply saying, be true to yourself, be authentic, live according to what you truly believe, not according to how you feel at the moment. Now, we got to build up that faith, and that goes back to remembering who we are in Christ Jesus. But uh, I would not worry so much about the amount of my faith, the amount of my doubt. Everybody struggles with doubt. Uh, instead, I would uh, live according to what do I actually believe. Yeah, that's great. It's funny, as you were saying that and even talking earlier about the fruit of the Spirit and all that, I was thinking of two, maybe this is the converse of that, and you can tell me if I'm off base, but I've started doing this recently, looking at my average week and as my own gauge saying, mm -hmm. what are the things that are, um, well, for me personally, mm -hmm. it is what am I fearing and what am I trying to control mm -hmm. in any given mm -hmm. week? That will immediately level, mm -hmm. that gives me my little temperature gauge yeah. <laughs> of yeah. what that week is looking like. And 52 weeks from now, mm -hmm. am I maybe fearing a few things less, mm -hmm. trying to control mm -hmm. a few things? I'm actively giving them over mm -hmm. to the Lord instead yeah. of being like, no, God, I got this. It's yeah. okay. I don't really trust that you're going to mm -hmm. jump in here. So, I mean, that for me has been, especially in the last few years, a real good litmus test, I think, mm -hmm. which is a kind of weird way of putting that together. No, I, I think that's fantastic. And because and, <laughs> so. yeah, you're looking at your fears, you're saying, what is it I'm really trusting in? Mm -hmm. But then also, I think you also look at it and say, okay, I'm fearing this, but I'm going to go against my fears, and I'm going to live as if, you know, we're going to do something radical. We're actually going to live as if the gospel is true, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. even though I, I might have these fears. But I think your fears do reveal your heart. So and much so. That's so. a great way to do it. Awesome. So, all right. Well, Mark, thank you so much for weighing in on right. this. We always appreciate you. Thanks, Lisa. Okay, folks. Uh, not only is that it for this week's show, that is it for this year, y'all. So it's been a wild ride. Thank you for celebrating our 25th anniversary with us in September. Thanks for celebrating the 15th anniversary of our show in January. It has been such a privilege to do 2023 with you. 
We are looking forward to 2024. I hope you are too. If you are willing to, if you would jump over to Apple Podcasts or even Spotify and leave us a review, which would be super encouraging to us to tell what you love about the show, because that will enable other people to maybe give the show a chance, even in this new year. And we know that so many of you have stuck with us for a long time now. We really appreciate that. But we're always wanting to introduce new people to the show. So to that end, also just tell your friends, post something on social, make a reel about it, you know, just tell people when you're actually talking to them face to face, maybe in the five minutes each week that you do. Now I'm getting all weird now. So you guys are amazing. I love you. Um, But tell your friends about it. We would love for you to do that. So I will see you around next year. This is Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of Boundless.org from Focus on the Family. Hey, everybody, hear the latest episode of my podcast, Refocus with Jim Daly. Dr. John Lennox talks about how we need to show both love and truth to others. Love and truth, they find difficult to put together because love without truth becomes sloppy sentiment and truth without love becomes hard and can be vicious. Dr. Lennox will help you overcome barriers when sharing your faith on the next Refocus with Jim Daly.